Welcome to week three of the What Must I Do to Be Saved series. This is the One God Salvation series. Uh, there's clipboards and paper if you'd like to take notes. Um, of course, this and all breakout sessions are recorded, so you can go back and listen to any of the sessions, whether it be now or the past sessions earlier this year or last year. They're all online. Um, and if you'd like to hear the sessions again, there's a lot of scripture, a lot of material given, and uh, sometimes digesting it all in one setting, uh, you need a couple settings to get it all digested and, and pulled in. So go listen to the sessions again if you like. Um, I just want to share, you know, this isn't just for us, but if you're ministering to someone out there, you know, someone who maybe has questions about who is God or about prayer, you know, or, or whatever it may be, it's a good opportunity to witness and say, you know what, we're doing a series on that. Why don't you come with me on Wednesday night? And by the way, the other weeks are online. You can go right here and listen to them. And it can open a door of witnessing to someone who may not know this gospel and truth. And then when they go listen, they'll come back to you and ask, well, what does this mean and this mean? And then you have an opportunity to witness an even greater level. And who knows what God can do if we just step out in faith. Uh, Revelation says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they uh, loved not their lives unto death. God will work. Who will let them? We're going to have prayer and offering here in just a second, but I want to do a, a plug, if you will, for the cards that's on your uh, chairs, uh, that you take these, give them out, and there's a stack more here if you'd like to pick up some more uh, for our October 23rd fall picnic. A church that prays together is a church that stays together. A church that eats together is a church that stays together. So come ready to eat. Um, let's pray over the offering and uh, for the sessions that, um, that really the will of God will be performed in, in every session and in our lives. Lord, we, um, we just humbly come before you acknowledging that you are God alone and there is none before you. You alone are the Savior of our souls. You alone shed your blood at Calvary that we might have life and that we might have that life more abundantly. And we sit before you, God, in humility and honor, knowing, Lord, that you are true and faithful at all times, and ask you that you would cover each one of these sessions in your blood, that you would direct the speakers, direct the tongues, the voice of the speakers after the oracles of your precious word and your precious will, that there might be, God, an utterance come forth, and that the ears might be ready to hear and the hearts ready to receive what you, God, have predestined in this day and this hour. For these offerings, I pray that you would bless it to the furthering of the gospel. Let every person that gives, Lord, whatever measure, God, let it be unto you with a cheerful heart, and let it be with a heart desirous that your glory is exalted and made mention in all the earth. Lord, we'll be careful to give you praise and glory for all things at all times. And everyone say in Jesus' name. Uh, this, this offering plate, uh, you can give as he passes that around. Uh, and if after, yeah, don't forget the cards. And there's a stack more cards up here as also. Our opening text, and this will be our opening text for the remainder of the six-week series. 
is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days, everyone say my days, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of your fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, in Jesus' name. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Let's do a quick summary of the series, and then we'll jump right into today's lesson. In our first week, we, uh, we talked about love and relationship, falling in love in the natural, and falling in love with God. We talked about staying passionately in love with God. How many wants to fall in love with God? To stay in love with God. We talked about relationship requires communication. In the natural, husband and wife have to communicate or how's she going to know you love her? How's he going to know you love him? There has to be communication, and it's the same with God. God knows our heart, but he sure does want to hear our voice call out to him. And, and this isn't in my notes, but I can't tell you how many times someone's at the altar and they're desiring God, but their mouth is closed. God wants us to open our mouth wide and call out to him. A daddy always wants to hear his kids' voices, always. We talked about that marriage requires to be equally yoked. Last week, we continued in relationship and getting to know God. We talked about who is God. He's the creator of all that is. He is the one and only Savior. We talked about the unmistakable proof that God is one and there is none else. We talked about the great commandments, and as parents and future parents, we talked about the necessity that we, once again, you and I, that we sow the truth of God in our families and that we do this perpetually so our children not only stay in the truth, but that they diligently teach this and sow this into their children and that flow from generation to generation. How many want your heritage to stay in the truth? In Jesus' name. So just a little bit of testimony, and we're going to jump in, okay? As a first-generation Pentecostal, Brother Tex had no one before him to show him this truth. And if any heard him speak before, then you know he was not saved in the church. 
but God met him in his living room late one night in a place of complete and utter uh, destruction and desperation. And in a fraction of a second, God forever changed his life. And by the grace of God, he stands today trying one day at a time, one step at a time to do what's right and holy in the eyes of the Lord. Before God met him, there was no preaching, no one teaching in his life or anything at all. There were no altar calls with crazy Pentecostals screaming in one ear to let go and in the other ear to hang on. You know, the altar calls where they're grabbing you and pushing and pulling and they're trying to push the Holy Ghost into you or pull you in or grabbing your mouth and trying to help you. Say hallelujah 50 times. You know, that's, that's not the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, praise God. <laughs> you know, zeal can really get us ministering in the altar. Zeal can, has a place where it's good and zeal has a place that it can eat up the things of God. So we've got to have that wisdom and that balance. Brothers and sisters, we cannot manufacture the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is not something that can be taught, for it comes from God as he fills the person with his precious spirit. So Brother Tex, there was no one guiding him regarding anything at all to do with God. He had never seen the inside of a Bible and could not tell you even one word in the Bible. Had no idea who this Jesus guy was. I mean, he was that ignorant to all of this, every bit of it. There was no Bible study, and even today, no one has ever taught him a Bible study. No one would have the vanity of saying they saved Brother Tex or won him to the Lord, for God met him just like he met Abram, Jacob, Moses, and many, many others. And this is not a comparison to them. You all know Brother Tex's heart. But to say God can speak to someone without any saint or any human being being anywhere in the picture, God can speak to the person that desires to know him. That's the point. Now, God desires for us to, for us and for the sinners to come to church and be saved. This is unmistakable, but he is not bound by just saving according to the perception of church and of salvation and of ministry. The hands of God are not shackled like men's are. And if you were to, in the Job series, and you know, Brother Tex graduated the eighth grade. <laughs> so please be merciful if you see many spelling and grammar errors in these handouts. He never finished high school, no college degrees, and no Bible college anywhere in his life. There is truly no theologian standing before you today. None. But to be direct, God met me on August 16, 1999 in my living room. And he saved me and ordained me into ministry at that very moment. And he did this only for his glory. That's it. So I went to my closet relentlessly and shut the door and learned at the feet of Jesus. I knew as a brand new Christian that men and women could lie, be misguided, get confused. It's humanity. But I knew at the same time, God cannot lie. It was he that met me in my living room that day. It was God alone that sustained me to today. So brothers and sisters, we are still right in the middle of the purpose of the series. To really know God. We talked about a deep relationship with God like what John and Peter had. When Jesus said one of the 12 disciples would betray him, what did John do? He leaned on the bosom of Jesus and said, which one of those suckers is it? John had no doubt. Right beside John was Peter. And in my mind, I imagine that the expression on John's face was anger. 
maybe even a growl in his voice. He probably had some gravel in his mouth at that point against the others that one of them might dare to betray God. Peter was a fighter, and he probably had a sword, looking for a sword somewhere so he can take care of business. I mean, well, our imaginations can go rampant here, okay? Um, but these men knew how deeply the Lord loved them. And they also knew they loved the Lord. There was no question that they would never betray Jesus. These men were convinced of the Lord and the strength. And this is so important to understand the strength of their relationship with God. And God was so to them. There was that mutual love and adoration. You know, years ago, they used to say agape love. You know, it's possible as a human being to have that perfect and pure love. In humanity, you can give perfect and pure love to people, and sometimes they perceive and misperceive your actions and motives. People, things get cattywampus. But with God, it's not that way. Because when we offer that pure and perfect love to God, it's never misconceived or misconstrued. No one thinks there's an ulterior motive. They just see it as a, God sees it as a pure love coming up to heaven to him. So we, brothers and sisters, must sit relentlessly at the feet of, feet of God and ask him to teach us how to be a better person. You know, I said the last couple of sessions it wasn't marriage counseling, and now it's just not counseling, okay? <laughs> but we must sit relentlessly at the feet of God and ask him to teach us to be a better person, a better man, a better brother, a better sister, a better friend, a better stranger. Teach us how to to be a godly husband, godly wife, how to honor your spouse and your children. You know, a family that God has graciously allowed you to have for a season. For all things belong to God. You know, you have your kids, you have your spouse for a season. Well, what happens when they're not there anymore? You've got to be content with that season God allows you, that family. Some have them for decades and some have them for less. Either way, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. All this was that I may truly know him, that I may intimately and passionately know the Lord. And this series has probably uh, been far better for me than any of you. It's been so much deeper for me. You're probably going to get 150 pages of notes of what I have, and I probably have 400 pages. You know, it's just the wealth of what God has poured in me has uh, so richly blessed me. And it's kind of funny about ministry because when you begin ministering, you're ministering as the Lord puts it in your spirit to give unto the people. But the return that comes back into you is so exponential. It is amazing. Um, around week four or five of this series, we'll be talking more deeply about sin and repentance and surrendering before God as well as the plan of salvation. So I hope and pray if some of this de de uh, discourse now, in the first few weeks, uh, is remembered then because it can be profitable. So back to that brother text guy. As for his family heritage, he searched countless hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years. Did I say hundreds and hundreds of years? He went way back. And uh, he couldn't even find one person ever baptized in his family in Jesus' name, not even one. And he went back so many years, it was crazy. He couldn't find even one person filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. True salvation. Could not find anyone before me with that heritage. 
my wife, my kids, all baptized in Jesus' name, all filled with the Holy Ghost, none of them live for God today. But only I remain, and it is only by the grace of God that I stand today. That's good testimony, if you don't, whether you like it or not. So I fully understand being a first-generation Pentecostal and the possibility of being a first and last-generation Pentecostal. I completely understand that. For I was born out of season and am soon to go home. And perhaps all of this is one reason this series is so precious to my heart. Seven months of prayer and devotion, seven months of weeping before the Lord for this word delivered in this six-week series. I didn't just wake up last night and just throw something on a piece of paper. A lot of times invested in this for your sake and your family's sake, for your heritage's sake. Because I desire that you, when you're at the age of having great-great-grandchildren, they're in this truth, unwavering. Praise God, Brother Gary. Brother Gary set up my computer, and I'm, <laughs> I think I hit the wrong button. <laughs> this year being the church's 70th anniversary just last month, I've had the privilege to speak to many in the church who are a fourth, fifth, and sixth generation Pentecostal. And I, I'm going to be honest, I am just wowed whenever I get to talk to those who have been in this that long. Um, and the testimony that God sustains that many years and God can sustain and these shared with me why they're still in the church today the diligence of their parents and grandparents aunts uncles cousins those that were grounded and settled and refused to sway to the left and the right those staying in the truth with no wavering and these were an example to them of the great cloud of witness that you can everyone say I can you can live holy unto God in spite of this ever-present darkened world. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can. Even when some of these fourth, fifth, and sixth generations shared that for a season they backslid, the word of God was fulfilled for each of them that had a heart to know God. It comes back down to intimacy. Parents and future parents, so I just feel a necessity to reinforce the great diligence that you and I talked about last week. The diligence that you teach your children the way and the truth and the life that they should live. And that you do this now and not when they're at the age to speak and walk or when they're teenagers and so forth. You can receive this or not, but God can give you witness. This truth should start to begin sown in your children when they're in the mama's belly. You should speak it at that very point. When the baby comes out, he or she should come out speaking in tongues. That last part was Brother Tex. Okay. But it should be sewn in when they're babies. You know, it's interesting. We go through these classes, and they tell us, you know, talk to your baby in the belly and put music and all that. And we, we do all that stuff. What's wrong with letting the word of God be sewn in your baby in the mama's belly? What's wrong with letting the songs of Zion encompass your baby in the mama's belly? Let's go ahead and move forward, or we will never get done with this lesson. Today, we're going to continue in discussing relationship and getting to know God more. So last week, I have to repent to everybody. I started discussing who is a father and realized I got home that you did not have my notes. So I was a little embarrassed or greatly embarrassed at myself. Like I told Brother Gary, I spent three days disciplining myself, rebuking myself. 
Um, and those who know me know that I'm quick to do that. If I do something wrong, you will never have to say, Brother Tex, you did something wrong because I will discipline myself far more than you could ever do. Um, so anyway, I was embarrassed, greatly embarrassed. Uh, forgive me, trying to catch up week one and do week two. I just simply went too quick. So I apologize. I'll do better by the grace of God. So we are going to... Um, Start with who is the father. First few minutes may be a little bit redundant. Uh, I won't read every word, uh, but I'll just do some high level there, and then we'll be into the meat of uh, the class. Uh, so in the natural, a man becomes a dad when what? When he and his wife begin having children. Conceiving conception, the natural act of a husband and wife. But we're all adults, right? Almost all. Okay. Um, for your study, that's Hebrews H1, uh, and it means father in the literal and immediate sense. And compare names, Abi, A-B-I. Uh, just a short, short rabbit trail about A-B-I, Abi. That word means fatherly, which re means resembling a father in affection or care. This correlates to the writing of Paul, because Paul took those of the church into himself and then treated them as his own children, even though they weren't his flesh and blood. But he treated them as a father with both in the natural and in the spiritual, as a father would. So that's what we're talking about there. Now, in the context of H1, uh, H1 father, where it says ABI dash, this is because every person's name that starts with ABI and then whatever it is at the end means father in the latter part of the meaning. That's what that means. For example, 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 10, and Solomon's son's son was Roboam, Abia his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat his son. The name Abia, A-B-I-A, means father, that is, worshiper of Jah, Jah being God. Does that make sense? So anytime you say a name in the Old Testament, it's A-B-I something, it's father, and then the meaning of that latter part of the Hebrew word. So I thought that was a good little study note if anyone was interested in it. Um, so Jesus gave a pretty stern warning, a pretty stern commandment regarding who should be called a father in St. Matthew chapter 23 verse 9, and yeah, it's, it's on the screen, okay. So, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And it's, if you notice, the first father is lowercase. The second father is uppercase, okay? Anytime you see an uppercase F in father, that means it's a title. It's not a name. So, um, just for unity and consistency, let's see what the Old Testament says about the word father. So the very first time father is used with an uppercase F in the entire Bible, okay, is going to be sp is speaking of Jesus and declaring that Jesus is the everlasting father. It's a common scripture quoted at Christmas, uh, but really it's for all time. Uh, as we read this, I just want you to look at the words and pay attention to what's capital and what's not capital because that can help denote if it's a name or a title. Uh, do, do I give you that one, Brother Gary? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Okay, thank you, sir. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. So this one verse, we could, we could spend a good bit of time dissecting this. There's so much meat here. Um, but just for your study notes, there are 1,430 Old Testament scriptures that have the word Father, 
or a variation of the word father. And that's the entire Old Testament. Every Old Testament scripture, entire Old Testament, is lowercase f father except one and only one. Is anyone feel the Holy Ghost right now? This is a oneness scripture. It's a oneness scripture. Um, last week when I said it, no one ran the aisles and no one ran the aisles today. Praise God. <laughs> I have to work on my delivery, pray about it, and fast about it. <laughs> but it's truly a oneness scripture. You, you think about scriptures where God is called the Father in the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 89, verse 26 is a great example. He shall cry unto me, thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. The Father in that text is lowercase. In the New Testament, the exact title Father is capitalized around 267 times. And uh, I didn't do a double, triple check like I sometimes do, so I used the word around. So if you fact check me, just text me and say, text you were off. It was 268 or whatever. But it was somewhere around 267 times. So it's clear from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus is the uppercase F, Father. And Jesus commanded to not call anyone Father except God. We're good so far? This means rightly dividing the word, Jesus is the one and only Father of all that is. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Jesus is the mighty God, as declared in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Does this all make sense so far? Okay. So let's think about the Father in relation to conception, that which is, is begat and that which is begotten. In thinking about the conceiving of the baby Jesus, if Mary had a baby, then there has to be some type of conception. So let's take a look at St. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, was she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So I want to pause right there because the, I, I don't hear this talked about a whole lot, but it's got to be called out. The, the, the nature of Joseph was so amazing. I mean, here he's got a wife. She's pregnant. It's not his baby. You know, in the natural, what would a man do? Okay? But Joseph, being such a righteous man, he was not going to do anything that could cause her harm or hurt. Her name and reputation meant more to him than having any vindication or any self-justification. And it just speaks volume, verse 19, about what a godly man Joseph was, what a righteous man he was. The word conceived means to procreate, bear, and so forth. There's many other meanings. It also means to beget. This means the Holy Ghost has to be the father in conception. That's just common sense, right? Uh, for the child conceived in Mary was from the Holy Ghost. So a couple things to keep in mind. The word conceived also means to beget, which leads to the word begotten, as in the only begotten. In the natural, it is impossible for there to be two biological dads. And everyone under the sound of my voice can confirm you have one dad that brought you into this world. Amen? 
Now, knowing that the baby Jesus that was in Mary's belly came from the Holy Ghost, we find the following verses says he was begotten of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So this makes it clear that God and the Holy Ghost are one and the same, for two could have not have begotten the baby Jesus. What was conceived in Mary did not come from two, but it came from, I want to hear everyone say one. One. So this, this may be too simplistic for everyone, so, but we're going to ramp it up here in just a few, okay? Let's take a few moments to process a few details about the conception of the baby Jesus before we move forward. Mary became physically pregnant. It was not through a natural act like husband and wife, but through the spirit. She said to be around 14 to 16 years old when she became pregnant. Mary never knew a man. She was holy and fully a virgin. Mary became pregnant of the Holy Ghost. Are we good so far? Sorry. Brother Gary, I thank you for setting up this computer. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> it's acclimating. <laughs> we know from medicine and science that the blood comes from the dad, from the father. Okay? So some may ask, why is the blood of the father in relation to the baby Jesus, the oneness of God, and of salvation important? And simply put, the blood, or rather whose blood it is, is everything. It is creation. It is light created in the beginning. Yadabatahid is the first and the last sacrifice. It is eternity in heaven. Now, when we think about blood and the prophets, I wish I could just put a line there so I don't forget where I'm at. Um, we think about the blood of the prophets. He said the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world. Who was the first man and woman? Adam and Eve. What were their first two boys' names? Cain and Abel. Okay. So did you know Abel was a prophet? The first prophet in the Bible? And when you go to the New Testament, it talks about the blood of Abel, the prophet, shed that the earth cries out. Okay? So the blood is literally everything. It is everything in salvation. It is everything of the earth crying out. Um, the blood, brothers and sisters, is truly everything. The very first time any human being sinned was Adam's sin, one man's disobedience. And every sister can say it's not my fault. So... This opened the door of sin to all mankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. This is speaking of Jesus. Now, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was come, was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Wherefore, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we know there, there is a requirement for atonement of sins, that our sins may be remitted and cast away. Otherwise, we are forever carrying them all the days of our life. We're carrying the baggage, the weights. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Remission in the Greek means freedom, pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, liberty, remission, and omit. And just so it's clearly understood here and now, there must be a sacrifice for us, you and I, that we might live and not die. Just as the sacrifice had to be made in the garden to cover Adam and Eve, even as their sons offered a sacrificial offering in Genesis chapter 4. But who made the sacrifice for us? Whose life was laid down as a sacrificial offering that we might live? And who shed their blood that we might have life and that life more abundantly? In the Old Testament, the Lord commanded the people to bring a sacrifice in. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He was a sinless lamb. There was no blemish or guile. He was a male of the first year. He was of the sheep of the heritage of David, the very model of the good shepherd. And is not God our good shepherd? And what are the commandment from God for the atonement of sins? Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of the atonement. So I'm going to stop just a second because I want to enunciate one word here. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns, and I just want you to remember that word horns, of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make an atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Atonement from the Hebrew means to cover, specifically with bitumen, to expiate, to cancel, make an atonement, cleanse, disannul. And this word bitumen means an asphalt used in ancient times as cement and mortar used to roads to seal and to stop leaks. Expiate means to atone for, to appease, to put an end to, to an end to sin, okay? And to extinguish the guilt incurred and make amends for offenses. Now this sacrifice in the Old Testament was done every year not to abolish sin, but to only push it back one more year. Sin that was always being remembered. Can any relate to your memory, your conscience, that reminds you of your faults and failures of the past, a past that you, brothers and sisters, can't change? You can't change the mistakes of yesterday. It's always the conscious, the conscious. Oh, that we could let go of the past as easily as God does when he forgives. 
when God forgives, he, uh, he does not hold it over our heads as a leverage, but he casts it away. The psalmist wrote the following, and this was, this was really for us here and now. Psalms chapter 103, verse 12 through 14. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. I don't know how you guys haven't run the aisles this whole time. I just don't. I just let's crunch the chairs together or something. I don't know. And we find some clarity about this yearly sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. This is talking about Jesus becoming our sacrifice once and for all. This is one of those mysteries from the foundation of the world, okay? And not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which, he off, which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscious of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Does everyone know that Jesus shed his blood at Calvary? That he bore our shame and reproach? That Jesus shed his blood as a sacrificial offering so that we, you and I, might live? Okay? So now knowing that Jesus is the one and only Father of all that is means that the very blood that was shed at Calvary was the Father's blood does that make sense it's so simple brother texas is just too simple sorry there truly should be light bulbs going off for some your father laid down his life for his children that they might live and not die god almighty shed his blood at calvary for your sins and my sins saint as it's written saint john chapter 1 verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh. Now, there's some that cleave to John, St. John chapter 3, verse 16 as the plan of salvation, but this has never been the plan of salvation, but it is only a stepping stone of understanding. Let's read the text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This doesn't say they will not perish or would not perish. It says they should not. This, the important factor here is it hinges on that great big word, okay, should. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the like model, the Lord declared, if my people. And this was 100% dependent and reliant on the people's submission to God. Even today, it's still God calling out, if my people. If my people, if my people. Because God's not going to be an unwelcome guest. He desires us and he wants us and he longs for us. But it's if my people. Did you know that John also wrote the following type and shadow to John 3.16? First John chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we, perceive we the love of God because he, he who, God, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. The scriptures flow in perfect harmony. Every one, every job, every tittle, it's all perfect harmony. 
none of this is anything new. Does all this make sense so far? Okay. So did you know the Word of God tells us that the Holy Ghost, who is a spirit, invisible, meaning the Holy Ghost has no what? The Holy Ghost has no flesh and blood. Okay? There's no bones. No flesh and bones. Let me go back to my notes. Sorry, I shouldn't have walked away. The Holy Ghost has no flesh and blood. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he, he who, the Holy Ghost, hath purchased with his own blood. So it's clear that Jesus and God are one and the same. There's one God, there's one Father. But now we see that Jesus shed his blood at Calvary. The one and only Father of all that is shed his blood at Calvary. And the Holy Ghost shed his blood at Calvary purchased us with his own sin and just a study note for you the word calvary is said once in the bible and it means a skull and it means a horn remember earlier i told you remember that word horn exodus chapter 30 verse 31 and aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it of the altar it all that type and shadow that flows in perfect harmony brothers sisters neighbors and strangers jesus is god and he is the holy ghost and he is the father and he is the army of other names and titles, all for the one God of heaven and earth, Jesus. And you feel the Holy Ghost right now. Okay. So let's take a look back at St. Matthew chapter 1, where we left off earlier. And we'll start at verse 21. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Let's go to the very next verse that says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But did you notice how the angel delivered this to Joseph? Jesus is fully capitalized. Okay? This once again goes back to the Old Testament where you see Lord fully capitalized. This is the one and only self-existent and eternal God, the creator of all that is. Lord fully capitalized in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Jehovah fully capitalized in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. Jah fully capitalized in Psalms chapter 68, verse 24. God fully capitalized in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Lord Jehovah fully capitalized in Isaiah 26, sorry I missed that, chapter 26, verse 7. Branch, fully capitalized in Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus, fully capitalized in St. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22. Seven examples, and that's what I asked God for. I said, before I deliver this, I want give me seven examples that I can give the people. Here's your seven examples, okay? Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God Almighty. Let's move forward to who alone can forgive or not forgive sins. God help us. God alone's the judge. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself, Selah. That word Selah means pause in the music is what that means, because these are psalms, okay? St. Luke chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. And behold... Behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy, that's paralysis, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop 
and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and Pharisees began to, say, began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you remember what we talked about? John saw one throne, and there was one upon the throne, only one sitting, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. And he described Jesus, which was the same description Daniel gave for God Almighty. When Jesus forgave the paralyzed man of his sins, it was the one and only Jehovah forgiving him of his sins, for God alone can forgive sins. It is as the word says, God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Jesus is our merciful Savior today, but in that day, but he is that one and only judge of the quick and the dead in that day, Acts chapter 10, verse 42. If you look up that scripture, you'll see that judge is capital as well, which is just another many, many titles for Jesus. Many have asked, why is Jesus called the Son of God and the Son of Man, capital S each time, if he alone is God Almighty? And who was speaking to Jesus saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased? And who was handing the book to the lamb if Jesus is God and he is the lamb? And just a Holy Ghost pause. As saints, we should never avoid these type questions. But we should charge into them. If we don't know it, get in prayer and fasting study and ask God to show you. God will show you. But if we can't avoid these questions, because if we can't answer them, how will the sinner in the world ever know and understand the word of God? Okay. So to begin, Son of God, Son of Man, each of these capital S are not names, but they are titles. Just as capital, just as Father, capital F is a title and not a name, Mr. and Miss are titles and they are not names. How many dads and moms sign your credit or debit card receipts as dad or mom? None might get rejected a title will only get you so far in this life but to execute and i hope you hear this to execute a binding contract your name must be invoked for that contract to be legitimate and be in force period you cannot buy a house and sign your name as dad son and spirit though all of these may encompass who you are your name is what seals the deal does this make sense so far the reason Jesus is called the Son of God and Son of Man is simply the dual nature of Christ. And this is the most important reason to fulfill Scripture from the foundation of the world. And we're going to expound on this more, okay? But we're going to do a re quick recap. Today we talked about there must be a sacrificial offering for sin, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins, meaning no forgiveness and the blotting out or erasing of as far as the east is from the west. In the Old Testament, they brought a sacrifice every year for sin, and this was only pushed their sins back a year. Why? Because it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Let's move forward for now, and we will come back to why was this to fulfill Scripture from the foundation of the world, and we're definitely going to come back to hidden mysteries. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man, period. As a man, Jesus had to have nourishment, food and water, sleep and so forth. Jesus prayed, 
Can everyone hear me? And he never forsook church. And he always went to prayer meetings. Sorry, let me say it again. Jesus prayed, and he never forsook going to church. And he always went to prayer meetings. Why did he do all this if he is God? That no scripture be broken. That no commandment or statute or ordinance be broken. He did this so that there would be no place to righteously accuse or condemn. And he did this as an example of what you and I must do. He prayed because this is what we're supposed to do. He went to church because that's what we're supposed to do. He witnessed and took the gospel to the world. That's what we're supposed to do. Go the highways and hedges. Compel them that my house might be full. Everything he did in the realms of this was an example of what you and I should do. He left us here to finish the work that he started. Not to sit in our homes, to sit in our cocoons, but to take this gospel to a people who do not know. As God, he did not require sleep or food or clothes. Even Jesus gave them clear direction about this, saying, He came down from heaven, for he was with them speaking, Son of Man. And he said, He is also in heaven. For God fills all space and time. St. John chapter 3, verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So how is it possible for Jesus to be there speaking to them, and he is also in heaven at the very same time, except he be the one and only God of heaven and earth? God, brothers and sisters, is not bound by man's laws of nature, science, history, or medicine or the so-called wisdom of men. Jesus is simultaneously fully God, clothed in flesh as a man, and fully God filling all space and time. There is no distinction or separation. Jesus is God in any form, shape, or fashion he chooses. He is God. He spoke through a donkey once. Think about that. Anyway, just a short rabbit trail, and I think we're at nine minutes, so I'm trying to hurry. Earlier, we talked about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, Jesus is the everlasting Father. This place really felt like a good place, a good segue to expound on this a little bit more. Everlasting means perpetual, past, current, and future. Eternal, forever, everlasting. World began, world uh, without end. So this is describing a God who has no beginning of days, no end of days. He has always been. And will always be. The Lord is eternal and everlasting, as the Hebrew definition in the text says, world without end. And I think I'm going to let you guys read the, those other scriptures on um, everlasting at your comfort, simply because of time and there's more material that we need to get to today. If you do get a chance to study everlasting and eternal, I listed some more scriptures within the notes that um, if you go to it, go down the rabbit trails, go down the many paths of definitions and understandings and cross-referencing, you are going to be so overwhelmingly blessed when you understand God as everlasting and God as eternal. It is overwhelming, the study there. So have you ever heard the terms omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent? Revelation chapter 19 Verse 6, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as of the voice of many waters, and as of the voice of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. 
short study about the word alleluia. Uh, the world uses the word hallelujah, but that word's not in the Bible. The word, the actual word in the Bible is alleluia. It's four times in the Bible, all in Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. Now, this word alleluia comes from a few words. Um, so, as I talk about the definition, keep in mind, this demonstrates the word alleluia, the most grand and outlandish worship of God. Okay, I mean, that's, that's a, I can't even think of enough words to articulate how amazing alleluia is. So, it's of Hebrew origin, meaning to be clear, to shine, to rave, and boast about the Lord. In the Greek, it means praise ye Jah, an adoring explanation. Now, this really ties to what Brother Darren said Sunday, holy, 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 right? Okay, because the deepness of the meaning is far past the mere words. When you say the word hallelujah, it is the absolute grandest of praise and worship and adoration for God. So let's move forward. Well, omnipotent is the only of the three exact words, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent in the Bible. The definitions I'm going to give you do describe the one and only God of heaven and earth. So omnipotent from the Greek means all ruling. That is, God is absolute and universal, sovereign, almighty, omnipotent. It also means vigor, all dominion, might, power, strength. God has all power and rule, and there is no power except it come from the Lord of glory. This is why Jesus said, they have no power against me, except it were given from thee above. And again, he said, I have power to lay down, lay down my life, as he's talking about, and I have power to take it up again. Omniscient means having infinite awareness, understanding, and insight. God sees and knows and understands all that is, and he does this at all times and places without ceasing. Omnipresent means to be present at, in all places at all times, for God fills all space and time, and there is no place that God cannot be found. So, Brother Tex, all this is great, but can we go deeper to understand why is Jesus called Son of God? There's got to be more than dual nature. And what's all this mysteries and stuff hidden from the foundation of the world? And there's so much deeper understanding to Son of God, Son of Man. Unfortunately, we're going to be talking about that in week four. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> it's too much material for five minutes. <laughs> so... Um, because we do have five minutes, and I've got to give you some administrative up, updates at the end, I am going to skip down. And uh, those notes that are in the preceding pages, you can read. We've already covered those, but there's a lot of good material there. Um, you know, I'll read the last one, and then we'll go to the closing notes, okay? whose life was laid down as a sacrificial offering that we, might that we might live, whose blood shed that we might have life and life more abundantly. The Comforter, can you guys hear me clear? The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which is the Father, which is God Almighty, which is Jesus, shed his blood for us. God manifest himself in the flesh to be a sacrifice for the sins of man, that we, brothers and sisters, might live and not die. And it was the blood of God that forever abolished the sins. Blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it, but God, robed in flesh, could forever abolish sin. Um, 
In closing, one last scripture. We not only know that God is one, but that his name means one. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. So just a few administrative items, and we're going to pray. Please don't forget churchwide prayer next week. Come ready to meet the Lord Wednesday, 7 p.m. This sounds redundant, but y'all just forgive me. Jesus never forsook going to church. Did you guys hear me? Okay. Okay. We should not forsake the assembling together at the house of God. We just shouldn't. Jesus attended every prayer meeting. We should attend every prayer meeting. A church that prays together. And I keep hearing this other phrase, we're better together. Okay. We're a church. We're a body. It's all about unity in the will and purpose of God. Uh, next week is going to be uh, churchwide prayer, um, and then the following three Wednesdays, we will do the last half of the series, and we're going to be talking about Son of God, Son of Man. We'll be talking more about the hidden mysteries, uh, and then we're going to get into the hidden, uh, the plan of salvation. 